0: Week ahead, and if you're joining us via live stream, happy to have you with us as well. May the Lord equip you and encourage you this morning. Before we begin, let me just give you a couple of our reminders. Uh, first is that uh, children are are joining us for the service uh, from here on out, uh, but they will be dismissed right after our time of worship through songs. And so, uh, after the the last song, uh, Edwin, as he normally does, he prays, and then he will uh, he will dismiss the children. And so. Uh, for anyone who, is, uh, who does serve in children's church, uh, just make sure that, uh, that whenever that week is that you're serving, that you are in the back uh, at the end of the last song so that you are there ready to receive any of the kids who come uh, so you can bring them upstairs, which also then means that if your children are here for children's uh, Sunday school, uh, to make sure that you pick your kids up and bring them downstairs uh, for a time of worship. And then uh, lastly is that uh, for all the ladies in the church, uh, you are warmly invited to James uh, Bridal Shower immediately following the service, and then I'll be downstairs in the, the fellowship hall. So uh, with all that being said, uh, there is, unless you have never watched uh, television before, uh, there is a scene that is familiar to many of us, and that is a scene where there's somebody in the story or a character that we like who is... Uh, at the edge of a cliff perhaps, just hanging on by their fingertips. And then at the moment where they no longer have the strength and have to uh, let go, uh, there's always this hand or this arm that extends and catches them as they're falling and bears them up. And uh, I'm encouraged by the time that we get together to come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because that is a reminder to us that the Lord's hand is always extended to bear us up and those close calls, and as Christians, we have those experiences where we have those close calls, and we feel as if we're falling, and at the last moment, as we continue to wait for the Lord, the Lord comes, and he snatches us up, and he bears us up, and perhaps you find yourself at that moment this morning, and my prayer is that the Lord may encourage you and remind you of his faithfulness towards his people, and so as we come together this morning, let us worship him for who he is. Let us remember the word of the Lord and what the word tells us about the God who has saved us, Let us cast our cares upon the Lord Jesus and pray to him, be reminded of what a good and gracious God we have. And let us think together this morning of the wonderful uh, attributes and excellencies of Jesus Christ, Being reminded of who he is for us and what a gracious and merciful God and powerful Lord he is to all those who believe and trust in him. And so let us go before the Lord and let us worship him this morning.
1: Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship. Amen. The way all the way my savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divine His comfort, here by faith in him to dwell, for I know whatever. Jesus, do with all things well, for I know whatever befall me, Jesus, do with all things well. Lord, continue worship all the way. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace. Every trial feeds me with the living bread Though my weary steps may falter And my soul a thirst may be Gushing from the rock before me Though a spring of joy I see Gushing from the rock before me joy. My song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This, my song. Yeah. No. Sing that one more time. My chains, my chains are gone. I've been set free. as yes, Father, I got my Savior. Has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending. done belong our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Amen. Father, you are worthy, worthy of of our gathering of our praise this morning. Father, as we sing that all glory be to Christ, our King, our Lord, Jesus, our Savior, all glory belongs to you, Father. It is the main reason, Father, that you have created us to bring you glory, Father, to enjoy you forever for the works that you've done for us in us. And so, Father, we worship you today and we celebrate and we magnify the gospel um and the work that you have done through through your son jesus father for the sins of the world for those who have believed for your people so god in that i pray Father, that you may lead us now into your word into a time where we can be edified and encouraged um by your by by the scriptures lord by your word father lead us in this time uh, may you continue to be worshiped lord um not just in song as we just did father but now in your word and we pray this father in jesus name amen amen church you may be seated at this time we'll also be dismissing our children
0: Amen, may i read from from second uh, corinthians chapter 6 verse 16 and down to chapter 7 verse 1 and then we'll pray Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful and gracious promise that you would dwell with your people and that you would be a father to them and they would be your sons and daughters. We thank you, Father, for the testimony of your scriptures. We thank you for their endurance. We thank you, Lord, because you are a God who is faithful. You're not a man that should lie. But you are a holy God, worthy to be praised. And because you are a holy God, and because you are a God without sin, we can trust you at your word. Lord, oftentimes, as, as we strive to walk in the fear of the Lord and abide by, by what your word says, Lord, oftentimes, there's, it's, life is challenging. Life is is, is difficult. And sometimes we, we wonder, how long, oh Lord, how long... Do we wait for your deliverance? How long do we continue to pray without answer? How long do we continue to, to cast our anxieties and wait for your deliverance and your restoration? This is why we need your precious word, and especially your, your precious promises. Because your promises, they encourage us, they help us when our faith is weak. Lord, they they strengthen us when we are tempted to, to give up. We need only to look to the example of Abraham, who waited many upon many years to receive the fulfillment of the promise you made to him to have that he would have a son. And you promised him much more. And yet he was never able to see in his lifetime the fulfillment of all the things that you have promised to him. Lord, we are reminded of the book of Hebrews, particularly Hebrews 11, where it tells us of many saints who have come before us and how their lives were characterized by this by this, this waiting. They believed in your promises, they greeted these promises from afar, and yet in their lifetime they did not see the fulfillment of those promises. But they continued to live their lives by faith, faith in a God who is trustworthy, worthy, and living a life of faith, trusting in your precious promises. Lord, we need your precious promises to give us the perseverance that we need to keep us faithful. Not only that, but your promises help us to remember that you are a God who is always faithful to your people. So we need your words so desperately. We need your promises so that we may not cave under the the weight of affliction, so that we may not despair as the waiting becomes agonizing, so that we might not relent under the pressures of temptation. Lord, we recognize our need for your word, but we also come humbly admitting, God, that we are not always so good at patiently waiting. And for that, Lord, we seek your forgiveness because we let ourselves become hopeless in the midst of affliction. We permit ourselves to despair and and lose faith as we wait. There are times when we choose to sin, when the temptations just continue to nag us over and over again. Lord, forgive us for our impatience. Forgive us, Lord, for the, the anxiety and the anger that results because we fail to patiently wait. But Lord, we are so thankful that your precious promises do not depend on our works. But your promises rest on your covenant faithfulness. You remain steadfast and committed to your people because that is the kind of God that you are. Because you have sent forth your son to die for the sins of your people. Because you have adopted us as sons and daughters. Lord, we can always trust that you will remain faithful to your word, faithful to your promises. Even though we're not nearly as faithful to you as you are to us. We are thankful that every time we come before you in confession of our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would help us to continue to abide in your word and we pray that you might help us, Lord, to by your spirit to equip ourselves with your great and precious promises because your promises are the means by which we can abide in the Lord Jesus. Like a small small child who in fear clutches the hands of his parents or the knees of his parents. Trusting in your promises is our way of holding on to you when we become fearful and doubtful and when life becomes challenging. So would you help us by your Holy Spirit to arm ourselves with your precious promises Lord, sometimes we are like the father of the boy who was possessed by an unclean spirit, asking the Lord to heal his son. Sometimes, Lord, we exclaim, God, we believe, but help our unbelief. We confess that our faith, Lord, isn't perfect, that we don't always have the kind of faith that we should have, that our faith sometimes is lacking, that our faith is not as strong as we desire it to be. So, Lord, please help us in our unbelief strengthen our faith, Lord. Cause it to grow and mature. Help us to be a people who take you at your word. Help us to be a people who believe in your precious promises until the day that our faith becomes sight. So we ask you these things in the name of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you would please turn to Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty, looking at a couple of different passages to sort of to anchor our time as a way to sort of launch us into the rest of our sermon. So looking at second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty and looking at second Peter chapter one verses three and four. taking sort of a, a break from the Psalms, and wanting to devote our time this morning to thinking about the promises of God. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we Utter our amen to God for his glory. In Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter's after the Pauline letters, after the book of Hebrews, after James, and you'll come to first Peter, then 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, to the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we do pray and ask that by the power of your word through your Holy Spirit, that you might help us to take hold of your word and particularly your very great and precious promises, and that through them we may strive to partake of the divine nature, growing in conformity to Jesus Christ, to his eternal glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, I want to focus our time this morning on the promises of God. And we just read a couple of passages that speak to us very briefly on the promises of God. But why do we have these promises, and what exactly are these promises for? Well, Romans chapter 15, I don't think this passage will be up on the screen, so uh, let me just read this passage to you. Romans chapter 15, in verse 4, it tells us, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Very plainly. The Apostle Paul tells us that the Scriptures, the divinely inspired Word of God, including the promises of God that are written in the Scriptures, are written for us, for our encouragement, and so that we might have hope. The promises of God are written for us, so that our knees may not cave in under us as we bear the weight of affliction, or tribulation or distress or anxiety or even persecution they're intended to be your light at the end of your dark tunnel the promises of god are the declarations of god's good will purpose and intention towards the sinner another passage in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, this passage comes in the context of the promise of God, a passage we read earlier right before the pastoral prayer, where God talks about being the dwelling place for his people, where where he will be a father to his people, and his people will become his sons and daughters. That's the promise it tells us that through these promises, then, let us cleanse ourselves, bringing holiness to completion. So, the promises of God are written for us and given to us in order to help us to strive for the holiness that God requires of us. To bring us into conformity to Jesus Christ, which is consistent with the passage in Second Peter that tells us that these promises are given to us so that we may partake of the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world. So these promises of God are given to us for these purposes, and so they are absolutely essential to the Christian life. They're for you to take hold of, to study, to pray, to believe, to trust in that the ammunition to your shotgun, they are the arms that you need if you're going to fight against sin, temptation, and the world. So if you find yourself constantly defeated by sin, your flesh, temptations, despair, anxiety, ask yourself, do I know the promises of God? And if I know them, do I actually use them? Do I deploy them? Do I arm myself with these promises? If you find yourself constantly defeated, then perhaps that's the reason why. Because you're going into the battle without your Excalibur. Because you're turning, going into the battlefield in your pajamas with only your fists, when the battle is waged with armor and swords. Now, I get that the language I'm using here probably most likely appeals to men in the church. But the scriptures also tell us that in places like Ephesians chapter 6, where the church, men and women, are called to put on the whole armor of God. Now, each one is called to take up the sword of the Spirit. So, ladies, you also have your own struggles, your own temptations with the flesh, sin. You also are targets of the devil as well, and so it is important for all of us to equip ourselves with the promises of God. So what I want to do this morning is to preach through some of the promises we have in the scriptures, and there are plenty of them when I sat down to try to think of them, there was like about thirty that I came down with, and so I was like well I'm, i can 't preach on thirty different promises in one sermon, so I could then sit down to ten, and even then it was ten it was too long, so just for the sake of Time, I bring to your attention seven, which happens to be a pretty biblical number in the scriptures. But I didn't do it for that reason, it just happened to be seven. So, the main sort of the applicational thrust I'll tell you in the just at the very beginning is to arm yourself with the promises of God, take hold of them, believe in them, use the promises of God. So, provision is one. God promises provision. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you I want to be cautious about a passage like this, especially when we're talking about provision, because this is a passage that many of those prosperity gospel charlatans like to use to say that, well, this is a case in point for why you should continue to give and give and give, and God promises health, wealth, and prosperity. But the scriptures never promise that you will be given wonderful health for giving Nor is the promise here in this passage in 2 Corinthians limited to material blessing, though I do think it includes material blessing. But I think more so it is speaking about rich rewards in heaven. But we sort of tend to shy away from passages like this because we don't want to believe and we want to try to steer clear away from the prosperity gospel. But I do think the scriptures do teach that those who do give can't expect that God will reward them in return. Now, how God rewards is up to him, but the promise is that his people will be rewarded. And we're giving a, a word picture here of a farmer who sows his seeds. And so if the farmer sows many seeds on the field, he can expect that he will receive a good harvest in return. Now, if he sows only a little, then he should only expect a little in return. So the idea here is that the more that, more that you sow, the more that you can expect in return. And the promise is that you will be sufficient in all things. It doesn't mean that you will have everything to be sufficient, but that God will cause you to be sufficient with whatever it is that God has decided to give to you, whether it's small or whether it's large. But also notice that it says in verse 10, He, that is God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words... The one who generously gives will receive from the Lord in return, and the purpose is so that they can continue to give. You give, God then gives in return so that you can then continue to give on to others. Not to hoard it to yourself, not to accrue more wealth, not for your own personal pleasure, but so that you can continue to sow seeds and reap a harvest of righteousness and ultimately will produce thanksgiving unto God, all to the glory of God. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. In Philippians 4, 9, the Apostle Paul says, And my God, he says to the Philippian church, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In this context, Paul is Talking about his gratitude for the church in Philippi for sending Epaphroditus who met his needs. And he says that he is amply provided for. And he has this assurance that God will provide for all the needs of his church. And so we can expect, according to God's timetable and according to God's own sovereign will, that if we continue to sow the seeds of righteousness, for the good of God's people, for the good of his church, that God will also in turn reward his people so that they can take what God has given to them and continue to sow those seeds. And the requirement is that you have a cheerful heart. So if giving feels like you're having having to twist your arm, if you feel any kind of reluctance in giving, then you can expect that this promise is not going to apply to you. One commentator says heartfelt giving is defined by a desire that comes from within. Forced giving, on the other hand, is defined by an internal reluctance that has to be overpowered by external pressure. So think of it this way. It's the difference between a child who willingly and joyfully shares their toys with their friends and another child who has to be commanded and told that you must share your, cho- your toys with your friends. And they do so in reluctance, right? Which one would you be more inclined to reward? See the idea here in this passage. God generally generously supplies for those who generously give so that they can continue to be generous. There's a promise of provision, another promise is the promise of security. Which is nothing like the security that people in the world are looking for. John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me, giving them to me, excuse me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. John 6 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will. But the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The Lord Jesus keeps his people, and what grounds this promise, it is the fact that Jesus has come into the world not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father, Jesus says elsewhere that his food is to do the will of the father. So in other words, it is his desire that he has an appetite for doing the will of God. Is what brings him delight is what satisfies him. And the will of the father is that Jesus die for his people and also keep his people. This is his food. This is how Jesus accomplishes his work. And we need a promise like this. Because when you are despondent or in depression, or you're in despair, or perhaps you've lost someone you love, or perhaps you've lost your job, when you feel as friends have abandoned you, when you feel as though you can no longer bear the weight of affliction or the temptations that you face, you need to be reminded that there is a loving God. Who will never abandon you or lose a single one of those who are His? There's a promise like this that adds fuel to the engine of our hearts that sort of keeps us going, even if it's just for another day. Hanging on to a promise like this gives us exactly, should give us exactly what we need to continue to trust in the Lord, to remember that our security is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. And he will never lose a single one of those that he died for. Thirdly, another promise is relief from anxiety. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Anxiety is a preoccupation with those things that we fail to trust God with. We become too worried about something. Oftentimes it's about something we don't cannot control. There's knowledge perhaps that we don't have. And sometimes this leads us to anger, to worry, to distress, perhaps even to irrational behavior, to making the wrong decisions. Anxiety essentially is a faith issue. It's when we fail, we become anxious, we become we take these this issue, this problem, this thing that is bothering us. We become increasingly worried about it. When instead we should be trusting God with whatever the situation is. So anxiety is a faith issue. It is a problem of not trusting in God. And whether we care to admit it or not, it's not only just a faith issue, but it's also a pride issue. Because anxiety, when we struggle with anxiety, what are we anxious about? We're anxious about things that are outside of our control. That if only we had to control the situation, if only we could control this person's response once we go to this person and have this conversation, if we could sort of control the outcome, if we only knew this certain information that we do not have, then everything would be all right. But when we get anxious, we get anxious because we don't have the power or the knowledge to change the situation. So it's an issue of pride. So the passage says, humble yourself. How do you humble yourself? The passage says, casting all your anxieties on the Lord Jesus. Casting them on the Lord. You humble yourself by trusting in the Lord. And sort of the implicit promise is that you will receive relief from your anxiety. And what is the motivation? What's the motivation for us to cast our anxieties on the Lord? The passage tells us because he cares for you. It's not just like, yeah, I care for you, but like he actually cares for you. He cares about the details of your life. He cares about your going in and coming out. He cares about your choices. He cares about the things that happen in your life. He cares so much that he sovereignly works all things according to his will and for the good of his people. The Lord cares for you, and therefore you can cast your anxieties upon the Lord. Now, the way to think of this word casting is throwing. There's one thing that the Lord isn't good at, and that is playing catch. Right, because when we play catch, your expectation is you throw the ball, that person catches it, and they throw it back. But when you cast or throw the ball of your anxiety, what the Lord does is that He doesn't throw it back, which is a good thing because you don't want to have it back, do you? This is what throwing our anxieties upon the Lord is that we would. The question is, do you have the faith? Do you have the faith to throw? the ball of your anxiety into the caring hands of the Lord and to trust him with it Psalm 55:22 cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you he will never permit the righteous to be moved Number 4 promise of restoration Isaiah 40:31 they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Anyone who's lived as a Christian for more than an hour knows that living as a Christian is a struggle. That many times it's an uphill battle. It is running up a descending escalator. It is swimming against stream. And sometimes there are seasons when we continue to do the right thing We are sowing seeds of righteousness, but we're not getting a harvest. Prayers seem to go unanswered. We continue to wait, and there's no deliverance. Life is challenging. Work is challenging. Parenting is challenging. Sometimes we feel like soldiers weary from days upon days of battle. But the requirement here in the passage is to wait, is to continue to wait, wait and wait and wait. And the passage doesn't tell us how long do we wait for, but it just says, wait. Consider the example of Abraham, waiting years upon years to receive the promised son. Consider the example of David years and years waiting, even running for his life until finally the fulfillment of the promise came true and he was anointed king. Christian life is one of waiting. But the promise is that God will restore those who patiently wait. And it's not always according to our timetable. Right, we sometimes look at our watch and say, Lord, when It's time. Lord, you're, you're running late. Where are you? I've been praying. I've been asking. When is the deliverance? When is the answer to prayer? When is the restoration? You're running late, but God is never late. God always shows up, and he shows up on time for those who continue to wait. And the promise is those who wait shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I used to work night shift, 11 p.m. to 8 a.m. And I have a respect for anybody who works those kinds of hours. Those hours are tough. And every day that I would work those hours, the same cycle, I'd be fine, motivated, I'm getting work done, getting other things done, and it's just, it's just great. And there's always crosses a point when it just becomes really hard time just seems to move slower work is getting harder sleep just just starts coming upon you you start getting really tired and you keep looking outside and it's pitch black nothing's changed and it was always this moment of waiting just continuing to wait and wait and wait to finally looking outside and seeing the horizon and seeing the dawning of a new day, seeing that light break into the darkness. There's always darkness before dawn, but the promise in this passage is that the dawn always comes for those who continue to trust and wait upon the Lord. It will always come. The Lord will always come you continue to wait. Number five, there's a the promise of heavenly rewards. There are many places in the scriptures, and I see, we see this actually pretty, pretty numerous in the Sermon on the Mount, where there is these, this promise of rewards, and the promise of rewards is sort of, it's given to the believer as a, a, as a motivation to continue to trust, to continue to wait, to continue to live and walk in the fear of the Lord. And so it seems like the Bible wants us to be motivated by rewards. And what a gracious and loving Father we have, right? We walk in the ways of the Lord because, yes, we are commanded by the Lord because He is our Creator, because He has saved us through Jesus Christ. Because he commands us to because he has all authority, but we do so because we desire to, because He is a gracious and loving Father, and we do so because we love God, we want to walk in His ways. But, uh, but he also desires to reward his people. And just a couple of examples. Matthew 5:11 says, "Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account." Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The richest, many of the richest Christians in heaven will be those who have suffered greatly on the count of the gospel, for those who have unashamedly lived out their faith in a hostile world, for those who have openly and boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reward is that if you have ever suffered on account of the gospel persecuted reviled loss of something because of your faith in the gospel the promise is that you will be rewarded richly in heaven Matthew 10:40 listen to this one Matthew 10:40 Jesus says whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me the one who receives a prophet because he is the prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup <clears throat> excuse me, of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus says this as he is sending out his 12 apostles to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom essentially saying that those who show hospitality to his righteous people will receive a reward. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says in the last day, he will invite all his people. He says, he will say to them, you clothed me, you visited me, you gave me drink, you gave me food, and they will say to him, Lord, when did we ever give you food? When did we ever give you drink? When did we ever visit you and clothe you? And Jesus will say to them, when you did it to the least of these were mine, you did it unto me. So in other words, Jesus is telling us, the scriptures are telling us that whenever we show hospitality to God's people, we are also at the same time doing it unto Jesus. And Jesus says, you will be rewarded. Could be material blessing. It might not be. But he says you will be rewarded, most likely rewarded in heaven. We I mean, see this, this. I mean, every day, every single day is another opportunity for you and I to be able to reap more rewards in heaven. Every single day is another opportunity. So there's a promise of rewards. For suffering on the count of the gospel, for showing hospitality to God's righteous people, and there are many others. Number six, there's a promise of provision in temptation. First Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. So whatever temptations that you have faced or are facing now or are facing in the future, it is a temptation that is not uncommon to man. It is not something that has never been experienced before. God is never going to say, huh, that's, that's a new one. Jesus, what do you think about that temptation? Like, oh, I don't know. I've never been through that before. Right? That conversation never happens in heaven. There's no temptation that you have ever been through that is unique to you. There will never be a temptation that has no solution. And God is faithful. He may permit temptation to come upon your life. Now, if Christians are clear, God does never, te- never tempts anyone. But it doesn't mean that he never allows or permits temptation to come upon our life. But while he may permit temptation, God is always in control of the temptation. And yet it does not mean that God gives us what we need to be stronger than temptation. The passage does not say that he never allows a temptation upon our life that will be too strong for us. In fact, you should just assume that every temptation that you face is stronger than you. But the promise is that God is faithful and he will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. That's the promise, the promise of provision. There is nobody more concerned for your personal holiness than God is. And to show you how much he cares for you and for the holiness that he desires to see and will bring about in your life, he will provide a way of escape when you are facing temptation so that you may not give in and so that you may be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And knowing this, knowing that God does provide a way of escape through every temptation also means that there's never, ever any excuse to sin. Because God always provides a way of escape. Then the question then becomes, how do we Become aware of this way of escape. If God provides a way of escape, if that's His promise, what does this escape look like? How do we, can we be aware of this way of escape? One way is to take the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Take this promise. Believe in this promise. I would encourage you to memorize this promise. Pray this promise. Recite this promise when you are facing temptation. And God will be faithful and provide the way of escape. Because there are, always, there are always temptations. The promise that God will always provide a way of escape. Temptations really are just false promises. They're like waterless clouds or balloons full of air. They promise security they promise pleasure they promise wealth they promise stability they promise recognition they make all these promises that might satisfy for a little bit of time but they always at some point fail to deliver and so the answer in temptation is to trust better promises at the promise of first corinthians ten thirteen, the promises of god is, hopefully I'm not making light of the promises of God, it's not my intention to, but the promises of God are like pinatas. If by faith you swing the bat, every time you hit it, it always produces something. It always produces the encouragement, it always produces the strength, the perseverance that you need every time you hit the promise of God. And when we do sin... There is also the promise that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number seven, there is the promise of the Lord's enduring fidelity. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So there's the promise of God's enduring fidelity, which then also leads to contentment. And to understand contentment, I think it's, also, I think it's helpful to compare it to satisfaction. There's satisfaction in many places in the scriptures has this idea of being full. That you have had enough, plenty, more than enough. Or it's like eating food and you've had enough, you're full. But when we do not have our fill of something, that's the problem of our hearts, that our hearts are always yearning and eager to devour something and never be satisfied. Whether it's pleasure, whether it's money, whether it's recognition, the praise of men. But contentment is accepting what God has given to you. Whether it's a little or whether it is a lot. And contentment is a, it's a sort of satisfaction, really. Contentment is being satisfied even though you do not have everything. It is this state of being full where you're not full, say, in possessions or full in riches. Full with recognition or security. But how do you achieve this inner state of satisfaction when you do not have everything that you could possibly have? Well, there is a ground here of God's enduring fidelity. How is this grounded? How is this, and on what is this resting? It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the Lord's promise. And that is the reason why we can be content. And that is where contentment comes from. Contentment comes from possessing Christ as your greatest treasure. The Lord's promise of his enduring fidelity to you is his promise to you that he will always be your richest and greatest treasure. surpassing anything else in quantity, surpassing anything else in quality. In Jesus Christ, the poorest person on the planet is richer than the richest person on the planet. And when we struggle with discontentment, we are forgetting the rich treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. And to beat back this feeling of discontentment You must arm yourself with this promise that God has promised to you that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he is your enduring satisfaction, that he is your enduring treasure. This is like the disciples who are on the boat in the middle of the storm, tossed to and fro, fearful, anxious. But Jesus is there with them on the boat. To believe in the promises of God, to believe in these promises and many others, it's like us being on the ship, or the ship being our very lives, going through those seasons within our storms, tossed to and fro, we don't know how things will turn out. But when we believe and trust, memorize, pray, recite the promises of God, it is a reminder to us. That we are not alone on the boat, but Jesus, the creator of the wind and the waves, is there with us as well. And that he will not let his people perish. So we have to become familiar with and study and memorize the promises of God. And we should also pray the promises of God. The promises of God, which are secured for us in Jesus Christ is the Lord's pathway to meet our souls in our time of need. And when we apply these promises, they are our way of apprehending and holding on to Christ. It is our way of anchoring ourselves in Jesus Christ. So let us arm ourselves, let us equip ourselves with these promises as our hanging on to Christ for the encouragement, for the strength, for the hope, That we need, especially when living life as a Christian becomes challenging. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. And we stand today on your very promises. We stand here today because you have been faithful to the original promise you made to Abraham, that his children would be as numerous as the stars, and that through his seed all the nations will be blessed. Lord, we rest today on the fulfillment of that promise. We are the Gentiles who have been blessed through the seed who is Jesus Christ, through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are counted as sons of Abraham. So we thank you for your great promises, and we thank you for many others that are are intended to be our means of encouragement, that are intended to strengthen us when the hands are weak. Lord, help us to take these promises and apply them to our lives. Help us to recite them. Help us to pray them when we find ourselves in moments of anxiety or distress or temptation. And you are faithful, and you will provide, and you will deliver, and you will strengthen. So help us, Lord Jesus. Take these truths by your Spirit, plant them deep into our hearts, and help us to walk according to these promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship together one more time in response of today's message with, uh, Oh Church, Arise. How fitting. Amen. Put your eyes and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand. his battle cry is love Reaching out to those in darkness Our call to war To love the captive soul But to rage against the captor And with the sword, yes And make so wounded whole We will fight with faith and wrath when faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have a price for which he died an inheritance of nations. Fallen saints Come see the cross where love and mercy meet. As the sign of God is shrunken, and see His foes, my like crush beneath His feet. For the conqueror has raised, and as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave, this victory march continues till the day every eye. See him. So Spirit, so Spirit, come, strengthen every strife, give praise for every hurdle, that we may run with to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. standing for as saints as saints of old still find the way the triumphs of his grace hear their call worship you today how fitting of a song uh, to respond lord to the message that we heard today and god we pray father i pray that that we may lay aside father that we may lay aside every burden and run with endurance lord the race set before us god help us you are a faithful god always keeping your promises. So, Father, let us hold fast the confession of our, of our hope with a true heart, Lord, in full assurance of our faith. God, keep us, keep us from falling into temptation just as we pray in the mornings here, Father, but instead strengthen us. Strengthen us, Lord, through the knowledge of the truth Keep us content, Lord, as well as we heard today, Lord, in, in what you have done, and what you have given us, fully, being fully satisfied. And may we possess Christ as our greatest treasure as we walk in this fallen world. Lead us. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul, body, and be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.